Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm so happy to be back with you again today. I'm pleased that you could join us. As today, we are going to take a look at always knowing what it is we don't know. And with us is Neil Bertrand, and he is a 25-year multifamily veteran who has held executive positions in property management, asset management, and acquisitions. Neil's experience includes all asset classes and types of property in multiple states. So, Neil, what is a formative experience that helped you to be who you are today? Alan, I think the one thing that sticks out in my mind is 25 years ago, I'd just gotten into the real estate space, was taking real estate courses at a local college, and the instructor was a retired broker. And her way of giving back to the real estate community was to teach. Uh, she very her she and her husband had a very successful career, done really well with rental properties, and so here I am, this little wet behind the ears, twenty year old something kid, and I ask her, "What's the best piece of advice you can give me to advance my career quickly?" And she said, "Well, when you find yourself in a room with people who have been doing this 20, 25 years longer than you have, shut up, <laughs> shut up, just and listen." listen. Yes. And, you know, I took that to heart. And over the course of my career, working with various NMHC top 50 firms, found myself the direct report of people who had been in the business 25, 30 years longer than me, had seen multiple recessions, different cycles. And I just shut up and listened <laughs> and absorbed all the knowledge I could. Well, it seems to have paid off. And um, a wise instructor that you had at an early age, which obviously helped to launch your career. Where did you actually start 25 years ago? Besides shutting up and listening, where did you actually get started? I was on the property management side. Uh, my wife was already in the industry when we met and I was looking for a new career path. And she suggested, you know, hey, give this a try. You're good with people. You're good with numbers. And it just stuck. I started with uh, Lincoln Property Company. I think Anybody who knows anything about multifamily has heard that name. I was an assistant manager in there. And within 18 months, went from assistant manager to manager and then was recruited away by another company to be a regional manager. Stayed in property management for roughly 20 or so years and got a LinkedIn message from a gentleman named Chris Finley in Miami, Florida. Said, hey, we're looking for a VP of acquisitions. And uh, are you interested? And I said, well, you know, you see my profile, it's heavy on the management side, the operations side, no acquisitions experience. And his response was, that's what makes you great for the position. I'll be in Dallas. Let's talk. So he was looking for someone that he could train on the acquisition side. But in, in his words, I have a team of 25-year-olds with MBAs going through complicated spreadsheets. I need somebody with your background who can walk on a property and just look at it and tell me if I should buy it or not. And that launched the acquisitions and asset management kind of side of my career. Chris started his multifamily and real estate career in 1970, which was the year I was born. So I call it my crash, PhD level crash course in institutional level underwriting and acquisition analysis. 
So worked with Chris for a few years and uh, roughly 2017, 2018 said, Hey, you know, I can do this for myself and stop making everybody else a lot of money. Stepped out, spent a little bit of time in one of the better mentor programs. Didn't really need any education, but I needed the network and the contacts, right? Met a few people to partner up with, did a couple of deals, and through just kind of chain of events, met the gentleman that I'm partnering up with now, Robbie Cotta out of Austin. We were both part of an executive forum that meets every other Friday on Zoom with CIOs, private equity guys, entrepreneurs. And over the course of a year, a little over a year, we noticed that we shared a lot of the same ideology, train of thought. So we began having conversations offline, decided to partner up. And you know, I make the analogy that there's a lot of things in real estate that are like music. And I'm a musician myself. And you can take four or five musicians, tell them to learn a song, put them in a room. They'll play a song, right? They'll play you the song. But you take the right four or five musicians and put them in a room and you get the Beatles, you get Led Zeppelins, you get Rolling Stones, you get Kiss, you get something that's just, it explodes. So within 45 days of Robbie and I kind of deciding and inking that we're going to do this together, we had $1.4 billion in new development under contract, wow. <laughs> ready to go. And that was February, 2021. So that's kind of the condensed version of 25 years ago to now. That's very interesting. It's always nice to hear of young people who find that niche that just really fits them and they are passionate about it and they can follow that to multiple levels of success. I wasn't that fortunate. It took me a lot of exploration and a lot of missteps before I was finally able to find my footing. Well, when everybody in the room is an expert, how do you know who to trust and who not to trust? The last several years, we've kind of seen this influx of new sponsors, deal sponsors, syndicators, and the downside to that. I mean, real estate, it's a great tool, and I encourage as many people as possible to get in and build wealth and build a generational legacy. But the downside is a lot of these people have come in after the Great Recession, and it's all just been an upward wave, right? There's no way you can fail. Appreciation saves you if you if your asset's not performing. So when you're in a room with people, and I know passive investors get pitched by a lot of people, I mean, really look at the experience. Have they been doing this two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years? If they've been doing it less than 10 years, who do they have on their team that is the person that's been around 15, 20, 25 years, right? Look at their track record. How many deals have they gone full cycle? And ask hard questions. I mean, are you paying investor distributions? If not, why? Right? Ask how they underwrite the deals. What are they looking at? Do they have experience in the markets that they're acquiring properties? Experience trumps everything. It trumps slick marketing and it trumps slick webinars. Experience is the be-all end-all. I always say that the success of your asset starts with your underwriting. So if you're underwriting on a very low-level cookie cutter, six tab underwriting model that does not allow you to adjust all of the variables and all the possible scenarios, you're starting off on a bad foot. And I've literally taken my 38 tab underwriting model that has been sent to BlackRock and Allied Bernstein and Safira and Cadre, underwritten a deal there and underwritten a deal in one of the back of the napkin type underwriting models. And the back of the napkin always has inflated returns that are just way off from what the reality is when you go deep. So you want to make sure that people have the experience that they 
get down into the details that they really have studied the markets and know the markets and operate in the markets where that asset is. Neil, I think that's wonderful advice. And I totally agree with you. There's so many operators out there, young operators who didn't really begin their investment careers till uh, 2014, 15, and they've just done marvelously well over the last few years. But I always look at them with some suspect, just as you do, because in 2006, 2007, I was hearing the same things I'm hearing today when people start talking about recession. Uh, there's so many of them say, oh, well, that's 2008 is not going to happen now. Everybody's paying cash now. The problem was credit overextended and too many people had credit and yada, yada, yada. And there's some truth to that. But we could find ourselves in a worse situation than we were in in 2008. And it can turn on a dime. Having been through that, I know very well. So yes, conservative underwriting is definitely the way to go. And experienced operators are a definite must because any investment is a risk. Yes. And the parallels I'm seeing to the 0608 is a lot of these newer people gone in, they've gotten bad advice from gurus and mentors. You know, it's okay to overpay, the market will catch up. And then they find themselves over leveraged, undercapitalized, and look at what's happened in the last 30 days. Interest rates have jumped and you've seen an 18% dip in pricing guidance. So if your game plan was to use appreciation to maximize your returns, you can't sell. And if you're over leveraged, you probably are on an interest only loan for three or five years and that's coming due. And then the other parallel is 1980, the recession before the 80s and somewhat before 2006 is exactly what we are experiencing, which is at that time, levels of unprecedented growth right? Things were booming. So there's a lot of parallels there. And it's time to really, really read, educate yourself, study those cycles. Thankfully, I've got access to people I worked for who they operated in those cycles. They operated in those downturns and then their companies grew. Yeah. Well, speaking of learning and education, Neil, what is your best advice on how to go about getting the knowledge and the understanding? I would say... There's a lot of videos on YouTube and there's some great content there, but it's kind of like trying to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? The Institute of Real Estate Management has been around. It's, it's an industry organization, trade organization, has been around since 1939. It is the premier real estate trade organization covering multifamily, commercial, warehouse, industrial. They award the CPM designation, which is real estate's version of a CPA. The books from the Institute of Real Estate Management are actually used at universities to teach real estate and property management specific courses. So you really can't go wrong with attending the classes they offer, which cover everything from marketing and property management, asset management. They'll teach you how to prepare a management plan for an asset. So I would start there. The second you know, is try to find the player in your local area who has been around the longest. They don't need to have 50,000 units like Robert Faith. But even if they've been around 25, 30 years, I mean, there's a group here that have for the last literally 30 years operated at about eight, 9,000 units. And their strategy is more hold for cash flow. But again, those are two guys who have seen the cycles. They've seen what's coming. So try to find people like that, take them to lunch, pick their brain. And if you're looking at a program to join, really 
vet that mentor. I mean, you know, one of the top mentors, he's, in my opinion, I'm not going to name names, but in my opinion, he's an excellent motivational speaker and he's a great person. I met him, but he only has 2000 units. How is somebody with 2000 units going to teach you how to level up? The world I come from, that's not even a regional manager's portfolio, right? I mean, I'm used to working with groups and people that own 50, 60,000 units. So the best advice is really try to find those local area experts that have been around a while. I mean, and you can find them in any city. I mean, look in Baton Rouge, Mike Wampold, Wampold Company started in 1984. Just because you're in a smaller city, just because you're not in a Dallas or a Houston or New York doesn't mean you don't have those local area experts. Find those people and invest with them. I mean, they've got teams of asset managers and acquisition analysts, and most of them really don't mind helping their investors to know what's going on because it's better for them. They won't get asked so many questions if they're telling you what to look for. And just really choose a mentor program carefully, right? Neil, excellent advice there, particularly regarding vetting the mentors. There are just a plethora of, quote, mentors out there who are more than willing to share with you their supposed knowledge and expertise. And I can tell you that the quality of these mentors varies tremendously, and I see them all the time. And I don't know exactly who you're talking about. There's so many of them out there who are great at marketing, but when you really look at it, they're kind of slim on the side of actual real estate knowledge and expertise. You know, experience always trumps fancy marketing and having access to money. Yeah, certainly does in the long run, particularly if you're wanting to take advantage of those mentors. The marketing may be very, very beneficial to that mentor, but not necessarily to us as the mentee. You have given us some excellent examples and excellent sources here to go to. Neil, I know my viewers and listeners would like to tap your brain even further. So how can they get in touch with you to take advantage of what you have to offer? Sure. Uh, you can reach me at Neil, N-E-I-L, at rgxinvest.com. And of course, that information plus other contacts will be in our show notes as well. Well, you've given us some examples here, Neil, of how you have selected your partner and how it is that you came together. And your basic advice is move slowly and carefully and wisely when looking for partners. Take us down that road a little bit further. Give us some specifics and some other suggestions as to how we can find partners to associate with. Sure. The reason Ravi and I make such a great team is all of his strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa. Ravi is very good at raising money from individual investors. For me, not so much just because of my background and working with private equity groups and family offices. I, I speak their language. I'm more comfortable presenting deals to them. Ravi's very charismatic and personable. And you know, I mentioned earlier that we align ideologically about how we should treat people, how we should help people. But the thing is, is that when we have a difference of opinion, we're able to sit down and go, okay, tell me in your background, what's transpired that makes you see this particular scenario that way. He's very good at playing devil's advocate. My strength is, is on the underwriting and operations side. So you know, when we vet a deal, it's a good exercise because he's going to come in with 20 questions. His favorite question is, what happens if the market drops in three years? And my answer is, well, this is a no IO deal. We know we can pay the mortgage and our break-even point 
is 84% economic occupancy, right? Having that type of, of answer form. People, you know, when you're in a partnership, you develop very close relationships. And again, you want somebody whose strengths complement your weakness. You want to build a core team where you've got somebody who is very good at numbers, somebody who's very good with people. And the thing is, is you want people who are honest, have integrity, and you want people, look, I could walk around any syndicator conference like Ron Swanson saying, I know more than you, but I don't. You know why? Because there's people out there who know a lot more than me. And they're the first people I run to when I have a question I don't know the answer to. So stay away from people who try to make it all about themselves and they're the superstar on, on the team. A team isn't about one person being the best. The team is about everybody being the best and functioning well in the role that they naturally gravitate towards, right? You don't want to really work with people who have egos, who, who are going to go out there pitching that, hey, we're these great sponsors when behind the scenes, they can't pay investor distributions and you know it's a mess, right? So you want to have people that you're going to have challenges on every property on every asset to some extent, but you want people who can face those head on with integrity. Neil, think back and on your 25 years of experience and what was one of the greatest setbacks you've had to deal with and how did you come through that and what were the lessons you learned from that? You know, the greatest setback was I was really young, had not been in the industry that long. I was that guy with the big ego who thought he knew everything. And I started a management company, a small management company. And it almost killed me. I realized very quickly that I need to go find some people that knew more than me to help me get this thing going. I was in over my head and it was a very humbling experience to people that we managed for. No one lost money. After a few years, I sold out. I was like, well, I got to go back to school, right? I've got to go and work for a few different companies before I try something like this again. We did a good job for those people. Again, no one lost money, but really, really did not know everything I thought I knew, right? And that's why I say, always know what you don't know. And that is always such a difficult thing to do because, I mean, how do we know what it is that we don't know unless we have somebody to point that out? It's very difficult to know that. Of course, you learned in that experience, your mistakes, I think, were coming back to bite you and were telling you that, hey, I don't know what I need to know here. But what really brought you to the realization that I'm in over my head, I need to take a step back and I need more education here? That realization was having to, coming from the operation side, I was really hands-on with the properties, the day-to-day -day operations, driving the team, leading the team, and not very much involved with the higher level accounting, risk management, HR. So I had to learn those things real quick. And there was just so much, you know, there's so much involved in all of those things. And again, like I said, you know, I found myself in over my head and having to go find someone to, can you partner with me? You've been doing this longer and kind of have them help me learn everything you need, all the laws associated with HR and counting. And this is even before Gap or before the Bear Stearns deal. It was just one of those things where I was great at operations, great at driving the team, pushing rents, controlling expenses, but operating a company behind the scenes, I didn't have that experience. I thought because, hey, I can run these things, I can make money, that'll be great. Everything else will just fall into place. No, it doesn't. Everything doesn't fall into place. You have to go learn it. Wonderful advice, Neil. Just changing tracks here just a tad bit. You've been in this industry for 25 years and you've been through the ups, you've been through the downs. We're in a very uncertain period of time here. 
in terms of economics, in terms of politics, in terms of social upheaval, and so on and so forth. Where do you see the investment challenges in the next year or two, and where do you see the opportunities? You know, the challenges are, obviously right now, the challenges are with the interest rate increases, pricing guidance has to come down so deals work, but they're not working. Lenders are kind of leery, so you really won't find many 80 LTV loans out there, 80% LTV loans or even 75%. So that's when your conservative underwriting comes into play. The challenge is, is drilling down into your market. And I know a lot of people who, for me personally, even every deal I've underwritten for the last several years, despite what all of the data says about rent growth, I always use 3% because it's a safe conservative number and there's no guarantee that the rent growth we're experiencing will continue. Now, what we are seeing with in-migration to certain states, a lot of people coming in, high apartment demand, high housing demand, it's keeping rent prices moving and steady. Class A space, obviously, they're taking the biggest hit. Class B and C, they are also taking hits, but it's kind of leveling off. And the challenges I see for a lot of people are going to be those people who did kind of come in, over-leverage, undercapitalized with a three to five-year exit, their IOs burning off. And now they're in a situation where the interest kicks in, they're not able to pay out distributions or they're not able to pay out the distributions they thought they would. They can't sell the deal because selling it, that 18% drop takes them from their promise 17 IRR and two X equity multiple down to 14 and one four. So those are some of the challenges, right? Is studying the market and trying to time the exit on some of these deals. The rewards there is if you're poised, and you have access to the capital, you know, we've raised the fund, you can get some of these deals off market, right? People that are going to get really anxious to sell so they can get their investors money back. And that plays into opportunities for people who are well capitalized and ready to move and ready to take down deals off market. So it looks like there's going to be opportunities there, but interest rates are going to be higher. Loan to value is going to require more investment, investor capital, more equity into that deal. So even though prices are coming down with more equity into the deal, it is still going to be a challenge to get the cash flow and the ROIs on that most investors are looking for. How are we going to work around those particular challenges? You know, the Bridge loans, which I really don't prefer, but right now they're a viable option. A little bit higher on the interest rate, but you can get the leverage. You can get three years IO. The downside to that is you don't know what the market's going to do in three years. So are you going to be able to exit out that bridge loan? There's bridge to perm options. But you know, if you think back to the 80s, we're kind of seeing the same situation where interest rates were higher, relatively speaking, but people were still closing deals because those deals were out there. What we've seen with a lot of the new people coming in is they're inexperienced operators. So there's not efficiency in the operations. There's opportunities for management plays, lower expenses. Obviously, the best way to move is to try and push rents. And this is a good market to do it in, even though it's not going to last forever, like a lot of people think. But taking deals that have been mismanaged, undermanaged, not properly managed gives you a great play, right? Well, wonderful conversation today and enlightened investors. I'm glad that you could be with us to be a part of this. I look forward to being with you in our next episode. Neil, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge, expertise, and your many years of experience with us. It's been my pleasure having you. Thank you, Adam. 
Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.